0: Every day, the graduate student writers of Astrobytes.org publish summaries of recent developments in astronomy. Then we sit down with three recent astrobytes of our choosing and bring them together, sometimes in ways you wouldn't expect. We call it Astro Sound Bites. I'm Alex Galliano.
1: I'm Melina Rice.
0: And I'm Will Saunders. You're listening to Episode 4. And for this episode, we want to talk about different ways to recycle in the universe.
1: Yeah, it's definitely a very topical idea. Many of us are trying to implement the principles of reducing, reusing, and recycling in our everyday lives. And it turns out that the universe does each of these things as well, although at much larger scales. I
2: guess that would make mass energy equivalents the universe's recycling program.
1: Yeah, we can all use it as a model for our own lives.
2: <laughs> you just you just take your waste, you use a little E equals M C squared, convert that waste into energy, <laughs> and because of conservation of energy, nothing's created or destroyed. So bing bang boom, you got an unlimited supply of
0: energy.
1: <laughs> you make it sound <laughs> so, so simple. simple.
0: Yeah, I don't know why it took Einstein so long to figure it out. <laughs> 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 all right, well well let's spend this episode talking about a specific consequence of the mass equivalence principle. Feedback. Now, feedback in astronomy happens at all levels and all different size scales. We often study closed systems for specifically what we're interested in, but in reality, the entire universe is one complex ecosystem. To help us understand what feedback is, give a good example. Sure, so you have a star, it lives out its life, it's born, lives for a certain period of time, it dies. When it explodes, if it's large enough, it enriches a galaxy with metals. And then that galactic medium provides the material for new stars and planets that are now enriched with the material from that dead star. And then these objects, the stars and the planets, can fall into the black hole at the center of a galaxy, like we talked about from episode three, and so on and so forth indefinitely. All these things are interacting all at the same time.
1: And of course, we're all made of the material that comes from these stars as well. So everything in the universe is really very closely interconnected.
2: Imagine if we could get, say, like a, a 23andMe kit that actually allowed you to trace the chemical composition of every atom in your body back to the star that created it. How
0: cool would that be? <laughs> I wonder how many installments you would need to get all of the information of all of those stars.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what would that be called 250 billion and me? That's the number of stars in the Milky Way? <laughs>
1: <laughs> or family astrometries. With oh all the gosh. information from the stars,
2: <laughs> <laughs> I, I think you've used that joke before.
1: If <laughs> it ain't broke, don't fix it, you know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> all right, well, we'll we'll kick this episode off with you. Looking at your astrobyte for today is the universe reducing, reusing, or recycling? I'm gonna go with reducing.
2: Today, I'm gonna talk about quasars, and the astrobyte is called the hidden mechanism of quasar feedback. This was written by a guest author, Mitchell Cavanaugh, who wrote this for a class, and the paper it summarized is by Vieux and others published in 2013.
1: All right, so to start us off with a little bit of background, could you tell us more about what a quasar is?
2: Okay, so what happened is, it's the 1950s, and everyone's using radio telescopes, basically for the first time, looking at the night sky, and they notice something That kind of looks like a star, but kind of not. And in the words of one of my favorite professors, if you don't understand something, name it. So they named (laughs) it quasi-stellar objects because it's kind of a star. And that got shortened to quasar. Now, today, what we know these are um, is the centers of really bright galaxies, the supermassive black holes that we talked about last episode.
0: What specifically is getting reduced?
2: Here's the background on the situation. There's an open question in the galaxy evolution community as how do galaxies go from blue, meaning there's a lot of star formation, to red and dead, meaning there's no star formation. The red galaxies, you're seeing the M dwarfs, the smaller stars that take longer to burn, so there's not new stars being formed. But it seems like the distribution is what mathematicians would call bimodal. That is, there's a lot of blue, there's a lot of red. It's not clear how they transition. So the feedback idea here is quasar feedback is responsible for stopping star formation in these galaxies
0: as they evolve. And you're calling it feedback again. So what is getting fed back? Here's the idea. The galaxy feeds the quasar
2: with all sorts of material. Uh, the supermassive black hole is accreting and it's very hot and very bright as we talked about last time. And as a result, the supermassive black hole emits extremely strong winds and outflows, radiation and ionized particles, charged particles. And this is similar to the solar wind that comes out of our sun, these streams of particles that interact with the planets. But this is just an extreme version of that. And this radiation and these high energy particles keep the gas that would form into a star, so hot that it can't form a star at all. And that way it shuts off the star formation process.
1: Hmm. But stars have to be hot to ignite fusion, right? So you're saying that here the hot gas is too hot and it's like hot enough that it prevents the stars from forming?
2: A little counterintuitive, isn't it? Um, To understand this, let's take a throwback to Alex's analogy last time of the child eating spaghetti and meatballs and
0: misbehaving (laughs) you know when i first came up with this analogy you all laughed (laughs) we still do
2: (laughs) (laughs) so the the child that just really wouldn't sit down and behave during dinner finally finished dinner and still has just way too much energy it's just bouncing off the walls and not behaving what would happen if you give him dessert
1: Well, he's going to either continue to be energetic or be even more energetic, right?
2: Right, exactly. He's certainly not going to calm down anytime soon, maybe after, you know, the sugar rush is over. But the idea of this analogy is giving the child sugar is like giving a cloud of gas that would form a star more energy. So much energy, it can't calm down and form a star. It can't collapse under its own gravity just like the child who's out of control and given more fuel to keep going isn't going to calm down anytime soon. And so this this quasar ra- is this pumping radiation into a gas cloud that will never form and never collapse to form a core of a star.
0: So does that mean, conversely, taking energy out of a molecular cloud would be like taking candy from a baby? Oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not that easy. <laughs> <laughs> So, Will, how does this paper specifically try and understand quasar feedback? The authors here use
2: data from the Herschel uh, Space Telescope, which was operated by the European Space Agency from 2009 to 2013. The way that they did this analysis is looked at the quasars with high blue shifts. And that means those are the highest speed outflows. And they wanted to measure two different things looking at these high speed outflows. The two correlations they were hoping to find is, one, do the highest speed winds relate to the lowest star formation rates in quasars? And two, do the highest speed winds relate to the luminosity of the active galactic nucleus, the supermassive black hole at the center of the
0: quasar? All right, well, don't keep us in suspense. Did they find the correlations, or did they not?
2: Well, not so much. The, the first one, between the high speed winds and star formation rate, they didn't find at all. That was a, It's a hard thing to measure, star formation rate, so they didn't have high expectations for that. But the second one, they did find some correlation. That is, some of the galaxies with higher speed winds had brighter, supermassive black holes and surrounding material. So what that means is it's possible those things are related. The strong quasar and the high speed winds can be related to the fact that these are red and dead galaxies, but... They say this might be caused by confusion due to dust.
1: That's fair. Dust is confusing me all the time.
0: <laughs> well, if you two know anything about me, you know that I could spend days talking about dust. <laughs> but
1: <laughs> Is this good a good time all.
2: for
0: me to interject <laughs> with a fun fact about dust mites? Oh, geez. You know that I was being facetious there, right? Um, <laughs> well, sure, sure. What's your fact about dust?
1: Yeah, yeah. Go for it.
0: I'll uh, be quick. Um, If your pillow
2: is six years old, about one-tenth of its weight will consist of dead human skin, (laughs) dust mites, dead dust mites, and dead (laughs) dust mite poop. No, no, no,
1: I didn't need to know this. I'm pretty sure my pillow's that old at least. (laughs) All right, time to buy a new pillow. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) I guess this episode is
0: going to be why you shouldn't recycle your (laughs) pillowcase. All right, well, let's move on to our next example. What about your astrobyte, Melina? Is the universe reusing or recycling?
1: Well, in my astrobyte, I would say the universe is primarily recycling. And uh, my astrobyte is talking about feedback from supernovae. So in particular, I'm discussing a paper or an astrobyte called Modeling Supernova Feedback as a Galactic Fountain by Brianne McDonough, uh, talking about a paper by and Tennyson, 2019. And this paper is discussing how the circumgalactic medium can be influenced by supernovae.
2: Real quick, Milena, what is the circumgalactic medium?
1: The circumgalactic medium is the gaseous material interspersed among galaxies. Um, so it's the low density gas that exists outside of the galactic disk, but inside of its virial radius. So it's still associated with the galaxy, but it's not necessarily inside of the disk of the galaxy. All
0: right, so you said that the astrobite was called modeling supernova feedback as a galactic fountain. Can you give us more background on this type of modeling that was done?
1: Yeah, so in the early years of galaxy formation simulations, the researchers conducting these simulations noticed that they weren't able to uh, accurately reproduce star formation rates if they didn't consider feedback. That is, if they didn't include active galactic nuclei and exploding stars or supernovae within their um, simulations. And these are pretty difficult to model within these large scale simulations because you're using completely different size scales within the same simulation. You have these really tiny supernovae and AGN that exist within this enormous galaxy. And so um, in order to make sure that you're not just wasting all your computation size with really tiny grid cells where it's not necessary, um, you need to be really careful about how you simulate the situation
0: definitely a challenge in computational astrophysics and it's something that i'm going to touch upon in my astrobite as well how does this paper you're talking about improve on the existing models
1: in this paper they use a lot of different simulations and they begin by simulating the supernova explosions independently and then they place the outputs of those explosions at random locations in a larger galaxy simulation Uh, so they do these two processes separately in order to capture all of the necessary details at both scales and to better reproduce the entire um, situation that's going on.
2: The title mentions a galactic fountain. I'm curious, is this like a soda fountain or more like the Trevi fountain?
1: (laughs) Yeah. So because it's recycling it's a little bit more like the Trevi fountain. So the same water is going through. And in this case, it's more like gas that is cycling through Um, And the, the authors found that the outflows from the supernovae within their simulations created a hot atmosphere around the galaxy with something called fountain modes. And so these supernovae create winds that pushes material out of the galaxies. And as it gets farther, it eventually reaches the point where it condenses into cooler clouds. And the strength of the gravity of the galaxy is stronger than that of the supernova winds. And the material falls back into the galactic disk. Um, so, this is a feedback process again because material is being recycled, it's just being sort of pushed out and back in, and this nice fountainous sort of uh, cycle.
0: <laughs> fountainous <laughs> is my new favorite word, I think. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: and I guess in this case, because they're supernovae, you don't even have to throw your own pennies in to this fountain for good luck, right? There's copper, nickel, and. Zinc being produced all the time in the supernova, <laughs> so they provide both the fountain and the coins. Oh, very clever.
1: <laughs> yeah. Whose face is going to be on these star coins?
0: <laughs> oh, it would be David Bowie.
1: Why David Bowie? <laughs>
0: <laughs> He's a star man waiting in the sky, Malena. Have you never heard that song?
1: <laughs> or, oh, sorry,
0: sorry. Or, or I guess maybe you could put Fritz wiki on those coins if you're into supernovae, which, you know... Some people here are.
1: (laughs) All right, Alex, Uh, shout out to you. Some some people I know happen to be interested in
0: Supernovae. Well,
1: in any case, you can take that straight to the bank and buy yourself a nice grain of dust. (laughs) (laughs) Keep it away from your pillows.
2: Um, Wait, do you want another fact about dust? Oh, Oh, no. no. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's okay. It's all right. We can keep going.
0: All right. All right. So, Melina... This is all happening at once then? In some places the gas is being pushed away and in some places it's falling back in all at the same time?
1: Yeah. So they're running a 3D simulation to understand the entire process um, and they this is a spatially non-uniform um, fountain and so there is material that's being pushed out in some regions and other material that's falling back in in other regions. And uh, there is a slight caveat in the results here, which is that this paper assumed that all of the material that was being simulated was gravitationally bound. And that means that all the material falls back in and there isn't any, so to speak, water that f- splashes out of the fountain. It all stays in the fountain. There are no kids playing in it, pushing stuff out. And so they're going to have an upcoming paper where the authors are going to explore the case where that might not be true. And so this caveat is going to be looked at, into further and they're going to um, show the results in multiple different cases but the current results are for the simulation where you're assuming that everything's gravitationally bound
0: that's exciting well we'll have to uh stay tuned for the results from that paper
1: yeah <laughs> yeah
0: and with reduce and recycle done all that's left is reusing which is what i'm going to talk about My Astrobyte is Making It Rain in the Circumgalactic Medium, written by Harvard grad student Michael Foley. And that's written about a paper by Cameron Hummels and others that was published in 2018. Now the Astrobyte I'm talking about outlines a current effort to resolve the same computational shortcoming that Milena was discussing earlier. Uh, In this case, I'm going to describe the shortcoming as the current focus on resolving high-density regions in mesh-based and particle-based simulations.
2: Ah, yes. It's running a simulation on how to get simulations to work better. Nothing quite like it. (laughs) Somebody's got to do it. (laughs) I, I didn't actually know this was a problem, though. Can you elaborate on that?
0: Yeah, well, it's exactly like we were talking about earlier. Feedback processes happen at many different scales and in many different places. And so it's kind of tricky if you're only resolving the high-density regions. You don't really know what's going on in the low-density regions. And for the large-scale structure, you know, predominant shape of a galaxy in a galaxy simulation, that can be okay. But if you really want to get things like the chemistry, right? You have to figure out what's going on in the low-density regions as well and what kind of feedback mechanisms are going on between them. So this paper in this astrobyte describes a new method to resolve features in uh, cosmology simulations called enhanced halo resolution, which basically forces resolution on the low-density circumgalactic medium like Milena was talking about. So, sorry. Enhanced Halo Resolution is EHR. Circumgalactic Medium here is CGM. Try and keep track of all the acronyms that are being bounced around right now.
1: <laughs> Earlier, we were talking about Active Galactic Nuclei AGM. Astron- <laughs> <laughs> Astronomers really love acronyms. Why do you think that is?
0: Uh, IDK. LOL. TTYL. <laughs> <laughs> oh <my God>. <laughs> 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 we can cut that one out later. <laughs>
2: a few weeks ago, I visited NASA Goddard Space Flight Center with my class, and a scientist there said that astro- astronomers at NASA love TLA's, three-letter acronyms.
0: Oh, my gosh.
1: <laughs> oh, interesting. I feel like I've seen a lot of really forced acronyms in astronomy that were like definitely not three letters. It was like, pick your favorite word and then just like make it work.
0: You know, uh, on Fourth of July, there was like a half-joke paper on archive releasing a package that allowed people to make up their own acronyms. I saw this. Oh, I saw that yeah. too. I haven't used it yet, but <laughs> when the time comes, it's a fun idea.
2: All right, trying yeah. to go back to the paper here, um, Alex. I, I'm trying to understand if we properly resolve the circumgalactic medium, how does that affect things in the galaxy?
0: Yeah, so I was talking about how important the circumgalactic medium was for getting the chemistry right within the galaxy at the center of the CGM. And in this paper, they talk about the current difficulty to match observational abundances of oxygen-6 and atomic hydrogen. Now, they mentioned at the beginning of the paper that oxygen-6 is brought into closer agreement with observations in simulations if you consider AGN feedback from the supermassive black hole at the center, like you were talking about, Will. But they also find that in their paper, by resolving the CGM, they get cool clouds to form that can then clump and enrich the galaxy with more atomic hydrogen. So this is the reusing that I'm talking about. The galaxy is able to reuse the hydrogen in the circumgalactic medium because the cool clumps cool and then condense and fall back onto the galaxy. That's very cool. The hydrogen was always there, but the cooling allows them to fall back so that the galaxy can reuse it. That's really neat.
1: Hmm. So this this is really interesting. It's sort of like saying that even at these larger scales, when you use these really tiny grid cells, it's not wasting computational time. It seems like it's actually really necessary. So... Um, You're saying that we don't see these clouds at all with the lower resolution of the CGM. Do they just not form then? Yeah,
0: so we do see the clouds, but they dissipate on far shorter timescales. So they stick around for far less time uh, if you don't resolve the CGM. And there are a couple of reasons that the authors predict this might be happening. They run a simulation for 250 million years, and if you don't resolve the CGM, you find that you have almost no cool clumps stuck around after that time. But what they think is happening is that if you don't resolve the CGM, you can't properly resolve the edges of these cool clouds, which then induces artificial mixing, and then the clouds just disappear. They warm up and they dissipate, and the atomic hydrogen that you had in these clouds gets ionized, doesn't fall back to uh, the center of the galaxy.
1: Hmm. All right. Well, you know that I have to ask this. So what are the assumptions that go into this model and... (laughs) What are they assuming, or how could they maybe improve upon this model?
0: Yeah, so this simulation was only done for a single galaxy, so there's definitely uh, a couple assumptions made there. And what's also important to note is that even with the cool clumps and the atomic hydrogen falling back onto the host galaxy, they still predict fewer low ions, this is the atomic hydrogen, than you would expect from observations.
1: Right, so where should we go from here? And were they simulating a single known galaxy or was it just like a generic galaxy? Should they be trying out a lot of different properties or using different chemistry? What do you think is the way forward?
0: It's a good question. Better statistics for lots of different types of galaxies would definitely help. And also the simulation that they ran didn't actually converge. So they had to extrapolate the results that they did get to a certain time in the future. So hopefully in the future, they would be able to run a simulation that does converge. Like we were talking about, it's maybe slightly more computationally expensive to resolve on the low density regions, right? So it may take significantly longer to run a simulation like this, but it may be really, really crucial. And it's possible that also even higher resolution would get you slightly closer into agreement matching your atomic hydrogen than they're able to do now.
2: When you talk about higher resolution, you're talking about spatial resolution. I'm wondering about a temporal resolution. How does that play into it?
0: That's a good question. I'm not entirely sure. Uh, can, I, can I look it up?
2: Yeah, take, take a sec, see if you can find the answer. All right. So how's everybody's week going?
0: So it looks like in the paper, they get their results around a redshift of one that they use to predict their uh, abundances of atomic hydrogen, and they claim that they took many different time slices and many different projection angles around that redshift of one in an attempt to wash out any spatial or temporal biases. So if there are some artifacts that pop in right around redshift of one that don't stick around for slightly longer or weren't there slightly before, they wanted to get rid of that that possibility, and that's how they did it. So they
2: accounted for the differences in the time step?
0: Yeah, I believe so, yes.
2: Huh, interesting. Mm -hmm.
0: And with that, it's time for our one-sentence (laughs) summary. Will, you want to kick us off?
2: You got it. It's a good-looking theory that quasars with these really powerful winds would reduce star formation in galaxies and turn them red and dead. And now there is evidence of a correlation between quasar luminosity and strong winds, but it's Hmm. a bit of a stretch to say that that solidifies the theory quite yet. Milena?
1: Understanding galaxies requires a combination of large and small-scale processes acting together, which can be tricky to simulate, and supernova feedback is one particularly important process to understanding recycling on galactic scales alongside AGN. Alex?
0: Uh, well, geez, you sounded pretty good. I might just recycle that one.
1: <laughs> <laughs> thank you, thank you.
0: <laughs> well, I'll say for mine, resolving the circumgalactic medium in simulations helps us to resolve cool clouds that a galaxy can reuse. And this helps us get its chemistry right, or a little closer to right. Very nice. Thank you very much. And with that, we'll have to move on to our discussion phase of the episode. We talked a lot about feedback in all our astrobytes and on different size scales. In each of these cases, would you all describe the feedback as positive or negative feedback?
2: Just to uh, preview that, in case someone doesn't know the difference... Uh, Positive feedback is when the mechanism increases what produced it. That is, you get more because of the feedback. And think of a good example of positive feedback is uh, global warming. The warmer the planet gets, the more methane gets released from the uh, frozen tundra, which increases global warming. And negative feedback is when the feedback mechanism reduces the thing that produced it. Um, a good example of negative feedback is when you get hot, you sweat, and the evaporative cooling cools you down so you're not hot anymore.
1: Hmm. So I think in my astrobite it's kind of hard to call it either positive or negative because it's just using the same material over and over, and it isn't even losing any of it because none of it is gravitationally bound. So it's not hmm. really increasing or decreasing, right? Or am I misunderstanding the definition of feedback? <laughs> well,
2: that's a good point.
1: Like, a a perfect recycling program would actually just be feedback. It wouldn't even be positive or negative, would it?
0: Yeah, fair point. I think, in my case, I would be inclined to call my astrobyte a description of positive feedback because you're reusing the material in the CGM, then falls back and is able to make more stars. But, I mean, maybe... If I'm really going out on a limb here, I could say that the hydrogen falls back, makes more stars. These stars then, through supernova, like Milena talked about, pumps out metals into the CGM, and maybe that facilitates further cool clumps of clouds that then can fall back onto the uh, galaxy. So it's possible that it's a feedback process that's positive.
2: Oh, yeah, I I could see why yours would be positive. Um, I think mine is negative because the quasar winds stopping star formation rate and fewer stars getting formed might mean there's less material made to feed the quasar which means there's less wind and then star formation rate could start again so that's why it's it's negative because it's like reducing it to the regression to the mean you know what i mean like if star formation rate is too low quasar will not be as powerful and it'll speed up and if it's too high the quasar will become more powerful but I don't think that's actually what's observed. I think once star formation stops, it doesn't, like, start up again out of nowhere. I I think – yeah, I don't really
0: know. (laughs) All right. So then here's another question that I have. It seems like – maybe it's because I'm biased towards simulation. But it seems like in a lot of cases, theory kind of leads the charge. Or, like, there's always a leapfrog between theory and simulation and observation where – One predicts something's going to happen and then you go out and observe it. Or maybe you go out and observe something that you can't explain by theory and then the theory has to catch up. So in the case of feedback, it seems like a lot of our astrobites have been observation leading the charge. We've seen something that we can't explain and then we need to use simulation to kind of catch up to the observation. What do you all think about that?
2: I think that's right.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's really the most straightforward way to do it while also having constraints, right? Because you can just simulate anything, but then you don't necessarily know if it's going to be accurate. So if you have observations and something to really ground your observations that, or to ground your simulations so that they are clearly representative of something that you know exists within the universe, then I think that can be helpful to make sure that you are theorizing about something that might actually be realistic. That's a good point.
0: Yeah. Why do do you think it's the case that we are not usually leading the charge with simulation in the case of feedback?
2: It's a tough question. I I think without the observations to get you started, I think it ends up being Mm -hmm. the pitfall that Milena was describing. You can simulate anything if you want to, right? Um, And I don't think without these observations, anyone would know enough to even begin a simulation, let alone actually get something reasonable. Because you have to introduce the field somehow. You know, in the quasar case, there was a bunch of people who saw something they didn't recognize and tried to characterize it, which was kind of old school astronomy, right, where you just try to label and sort things, not so much understand the whole mechanism, because it took a lot longer to fill in those details.
1: Yeah, it also seems like feedback is really not low-hanging fruit. Mm. It's like you have to work really hard to get something out of these simulations. It's not something where you can just put in a little bit of work and get a big reward out of it. Um, and so it it seems like something where if you have to put in so much work, it will take a lot of time in order to actually create a meaningful result. Uh, and it's possible something might even just be observed in the meantime as you're doing these simulations. And then you have to sort of adjust to those observations and make sure that your simulations match them.
0: Hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. And with that, we'll conclude episode four of Astro Soundbites.
1: Wait, wait, wait. I still really want to know that one fact about dust. I've been curious. Since are I- you saying
0: you want another <laughs> fact about dust?
1: Well, the second go ahead, one. Go you just ahead,
0: Will. We hang. all are dying that's to know. Okay. Teach us about dust. <laughs>
2: There are about two million dust mites on your mattress
0: right now. It all has to do with your bed.
1: Oh <laughs> man. Okay, I didn't realize that would be so sad. <laughs> great. Does, that, does it matter how old your mattress is?
2: Those are living, so there are a lot more dead ones, I think.
1: Okay, great.
2: <laughs> Thankfully, most people aren't allergic
0: to dust mites, so it's fine. How yeah. is uh, the universe like your mattress? uh
1: it's a beautiful ecosystem i don't know
0: a beautiful <laughs> ecosystem but dust always gets in the way
1: uh. <laughs> <laughs> and that concludes episode four of astro sound bites
0: cosmic recycling if you want to learn more about the three Astrobites we talked about today check out the links in the show notes Or if you want to check out any of the previous episodes that we have online, check out them all on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, or SoundCloud. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to keep your ears to the cosmos.